today on Let's Be Frank, we're going to talk about how to become the salesperson that people like. Let's face it, people like to hate salespeople. That's one of the things they like to talk about. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. And and there are ways, though, that you can uh, you can overcome those objections and become a salesperson that people like and trust. And, and we're here with Frank Farmer today to discuss it. Frank, if if buyers could get by without salespeople. They pretty much would, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a phenomenon going on right now with Amazon, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah. Okay. You know, people are going out of business right and left, and Amazon doesn't have to deal with any salesperson. Nobody coming up to them saying, can I help you? Mm-hmm. Okay. We all hate that statement. Yep. We don't like salesperson. Mm-hmm. So as a salesperson, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question if you stop and just consider your role in sales. And sometimes just the awareness of what is my role um, makes us approach things a lot different. What happens as a salesperson when you put your emotions aside for a moment, sit back, just relax, take a deep breath, and honestly ask yourself the question, what role do I play with my customers? And don't move on. Take out a piece of paper. Do it right now. Stop this recording. Okay? And write down. What role do I play with my customers? And I'm going to guess that most salespeople are having difficulty writing right now, or those that are writing are full of ego, and they really believe it's about them. Because when I talk to salespeople and I start coaching them and start goal setting and planning and helping them become uh, literally millionaires, I ask them a question. What value do, do you bring to your customers? And their typical answer has a lot of puffery, a lot of, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Ask customers, and you get an entirely different answer. There's one simple reason that can sum it all up. Most salespeople bring to their customers only information. Information is something anyone now can get from the Internet. So in the customer's eyes, they're not bringing a lot. You must, as a salesperson, ask yourself, am I merely a conduit of information? And if you are, aren't you just wasting your customer's time? Because you need to bring them some value. If you can't, as a salesperson, honestly lay claim to problems you've helped your customers overcome, then you really have to begin questioning, what is the role that you play? Are you an order taker? The real successful people, the ones that we that we will help, that will go on to generate two, two and a half, three million dollars in sales annually, we help them understand that it's not about showing up to do an appointment. It's to analyze what are the problems that you recognize. You're an expert. What problems do you recognize that you can bring forward to the customer that they weren't aware of? People want more than information. They want solutions. Unfortunately. They don't even know what their problems are. So when we as salespeople can show up and help them avert problems or spot problems and give them solutions, our role starts to clarify. Role of identifying the problem, and it could be hidden, it could be blatant, that part doesn't matter. But helping that customer solve the problems, that should be the role of a salesperson. So how do you go about identifying the problems then as you're working with a customer? A salesperson's investigator, Jim. And it, and it really starts um, to determine really what's happening with that house. And I'm going to talk in terms of, of home improvement. But it was, it was the same process when I was a physician. Okay, um, You start by not making a whole bunch of assumptions. 
um, you're always going to get yourself in trouble with assumptions. Very first thing is you want to listen to what the customer is saying. So we teach a system where we call it a survey, but it's really a, a lots and lots and lots of questions we're going to ask to find out what the customer's beliefs are. We want to hear hear them out first of all and be good listeners. Okay, so so that they like us. Mm. Okay, then we're going to get involved and in, and if uh, in the cases of roofs, we'll do an outside inspection. Then we're going to come in and do an inside inspection. Then we're going to do an attic inspection. So we're going to gather all of our information without saying much to the customer. Now, you can sit down and tell the customer what you found and how it's impacting them or will impact them in the future. But that's not real effective. When when you start telling people something that they don't know, they tend to not believe you because, number one, you're a salesperson and they didn't like you to start with. So now you're starting to point out some faults in their house. It's better to set the customer up to discover what you're finding. In other words, if you cover with a customer what the testing is that you're going to do and you have them tabulate the results, they discover you don't need to tell them. Set up systems where the customer is is going to ask you more questions, not you tell them. Don't ask questions of the customer that you already have answers to or could easily find the answers. Those are the wrong type of questions. The kind of questions I want you to ask are those that you truly don't have the answers for. In other words, as a salesperson, let's say you're selling a, uh, a product that solves ice dams, and you pull up to somebody's house and they've got ice dams and ice sickles all over the place, and you go inside and you talk to them about what they're looking for, and you say, so do you have ice dams? Well, it's obvious they had ice dams. You're there for that. You've seen them when you pulled up. So you just look really, really stupid. And I see people ask those questions when they're when they're not really paying attention. In other words, if you go sell, if you're selling that type of product in the summertime and you didn't have any ice dams to look at, you know that you're there for ice dams. So I would never ask the question, do you get ice dams? I'd ask, where do you get ice dams? Okay. So you want to ask the right questions that you don't have answers to. By asking those type of questions, you're helping move the buyer to viewing you differently. When you ask in-depth questions that they have to give in-depth answers to, it says, I care. When you clearly identify ways you've helped your customer achieve great outcomes, you're no longer the type of salesperson that buyers love to hate. In other words, if I came to your house, Jim, and I, I helped you understand some stuff and helped you discover and you came to some different conclusions about the shape that your house was in, you'd be thanking me. If I come in and bashed your house about everything that was wrong, you'd be looking for a way to get me out the door. It's a different paradigm. It's a different skill set. It's a modern skill set for, for, uh, for selling. And that's what we help people with. Every day, sales are made then on relationship. 20% on product, 80% on relationship. Does this explain why everyday people are happy buying products that they don't really know that much about or may not be the best? Uh, it does. It does. <clears throat> I was um, doing some research on on uh, gutter covers. Mm. And when I started looking at, at the gutter covers that were on the market as I was writing a sales presentation, I seen that uh, people were buying products um, based on the salesperson, but obviously could never ever work on their house. And the average person is saying, that doesn't make no sense. 
So you know it had very little to do with product, mm. had everything to do with relationships. Relationship. Yeah. That's why we, we, we talk about building a rapport mm-hmm. with people. So building rapport, finding common ground, establishing a mutual feeling of friendliness, that's where that relationship begins. Exactly. So when we when we talk about building rapport, um, and it doesn't matter if we're doing it in business or we, we naturally do it in friendships or when we enter a, a conversation with people on the on the street. Um, in building rapport, that, that that conversation is helpful to both people and that will build the rapport. You see, most salespeople are naturally enthusiastic, they're positive, they're outgoing people, that's that's why they're in the business. That doesn't mean that people naturally like you right off the bat. And there are ways that you can develop greater rapport with your customer and get them to, to like you. There's a systematic way to go about that, Jim. So, number one, be a chameleon. Jim, we've, we've all had that experience where um, we've been introduced to somebody and that person starts talking to you and they're talking three times faster. They might be from New York or Boston mm-hmm. and they are just ripping it off. And we're here from the Midwest. And we're like, whoa, babe. <laughs> and, and they're bothered by how slow we talk. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, when we say be a chameleon, we talk about matching your customer's style. If your customer talks quickly and loudly, make an effort to match that amount that match that amount of energy. Okay. Be a chameleon. Get down to business right away if they want to get down to business. But if they want small talk, have some small talk. Match what they want. Communicate how they want to communicate. In other words, many people don't communicate well with written word. They Mm. communicate through pictures. And it's easy to tell. A person that's communicating through words will say things like, um, I hear what you're saying. A person who communicates through pictures will will communicate that through to you, and they'll say, "I see what you're saying." And and to a person that hasn't learned that, they, "Wow, that's right. That is what people say." Exactly. Now, there's nothing that's 100 percent perfect. 90 percent of the time, if you just sure. listen to what people say to you, they're going to tell you how they want to communicate with you. But you're matching that energy. And tempo. Uh So instead of getting frustrated with that person from New York or Boston, I'm going to pick up the pace. And because, because remember what I said, they're getting frustrated with us. Yeah. So use what you've learned here and match that and become a chameleon to those people. And that begins to build trust, which continues to build rapport. Exactly. And we've, we've talked in previous episodes about building trust through active listening, you know, leaning into the conversation, direct eye contact, listening intently, build trust through the use of, of what we call echolalia. It's simply repeating back to somebody what they've just said. Uh, customer says they've never had ice. You repeat and you say, never had ice? Like that. Mm-hmm. And then, well, yeah, for the most part, but we did have it. Da, 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 and But it shows them that you're that you're listening. Demonstrate that you're interested in their well-being. Beyond your own profit potential is really what you're after. In other words, they think you're there for the money. And let's be real, we are there to get a paycheck. But the reality is, it, it we gotta forget about that part. Mm-hmm. We've gotta be there for that, for that customer's benefit. And I believe we need to practice reciprocity. 
And when you treat people in a certain way, they tend to want to treat you in the same way. In other words, when I treat them with kindness and respect and listen and ask questions, they do the same way. So find ways to treat your customer with great respect and value. As you're going through this process, I'm sure you have to begin to tease out wants versus needs. What's What are the differences between those? Wants are more powerful than needs. I, I have salespeople who come to me and they say, you know, I, I really want to I really want to sell roofs. And I say, why is that you want to sell roofs? Well, roofs is something people need. You know, the product I sell now, they don't need it. And I just smile. Um, wants are very much more powerful than needs. It is the wants in our lives that create passion creates dreams, creates emotion and energy within us. Needs are basic. They're more defined. They're very definitive. And are more likely to be a commodity type of sale than a want type of sale. A customer may have a leaky roof, so therefore needs a new roof. This customer may shop around for the least expensive options, look for basic roof options, and they see a roof as a commodity. They don't see it as anything more than a commodity. They're all the same, so I just want the want the least expensive one, save my money. Mm-hmm. They don't see a value to having something different. What if they want a cedar shake roof because of the charm and visual appeal of this roof? See, Jim, we don't ever know what people's intentions are and why they're buying. And you know, I can remember a gal that contacted us for a roof. And she was up north in northern Michigan, and she had this cabin. And she had dreamed of having a rustic, a red rustic shake roof on this cabin okay. for years. She'd seen one 20, 30 years ago, she said. And she just thought how nice that would be on the cabin. Well, reality was that we helped her with that roof because she wanted that red roof on that cabin. So much so that she became very ill right after she placed the order. And I remember the lead time on her order was about six weeks, and I got a call from a grandson. And he said, is there anything that you can do to speed grandma's roofs up? I said, why is that? I said, grandma's dying, mm-hmm. and she wants to see the red roof on the cabin. You see, the want was so strong that she conveyed that even to her grandson that he found that he should call us and see if we could make that happen, and, and we did. You know, a person comes and they want a wood shake roof. You might think it's to keep the cabin dry. Well, no. When somebody says they want a wood shake roof, got to find out why they want a wood shake roof. Yeah. And when you dig in a little deeper, you might find that she doesn't need a wood shake roof. But 20, 30 years ago, she visited a cabin that maybe her grandfather had. And she wants to relive that. And in her mind, putting a wood shake roof on her cabin reminds her of grandpa. And when we create that and create that want, it's much easier to sell than trying to sell to a need. You know, Jim, in my opinion, when you take a look at how salespeople react to different customers and salespeople try to go into a church or go into a school or to a business and they want to try to handle that sale devoid of emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. In other words, very factual, okay? Why? Because that's how the church is approaching them, and that's how the school may be. But when you realize that when you can take it beyond the need of that, in other words, I'll give you an example with a school. So let's say they're just looking for a flat roof for for a school gymnasium, okay? Okay. 
most salespeople are going to approach it that this is a, a gymnasium that might be 100 foot by 200 foot and they measure up squares and it's all about facts and thickness of material and how long it's going to last. And, uh, I don't teach that because that's not what sells. No, that gets you into the bid process. Well, put your bid in this pile. But Jim, if you're pricing out the roof for that school, and I say, so who's responsible for choosing the roof on the school? You say, well, that'd be me. Oh, fantastic. What's the criteria, Jim, that you're going to choose a roof that you know it's a quality flat roof? Sure. I mean, Jim, you don't want people coming back to you in 10 years knowing you failed them. Yeah. They trusted you, Jim. Yeah. So what is the criteria you're looking for, Jim? And Jim says, uh, I'm not, not real sure. I'm not sure, yeah. Jim, I'll help you. Okay, let's keep you out of that pickle. Mm-hmm. Let's help you. Here's the eight things that you should be looking for in a flat roof. And let's go. You see, I have you emotionally now. It's not about the price of that roof. It's about keeping your hiney out of the sling. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Making sure that people think good things about Jim because he chose this roof. Yeah. So you've got to figure out how we get to the emotional angle. You, you'll change the decision based on what you want because it fed your emotion. It's not about logic at all. Yeah. The story is okay. about, about people wanting a certain yes. roof. That's I can see. That's more yeah. powerful than... Uh, then maybe just what you need, which is I just need to keep my house dry. You got it. We're going to sell a lot more by working the emotional side um, of wants. Sure. Okay. So how much do salesmen rely on the idea that well I got lucky, mm-hmm. uh, I've got uh, I got lucky, I got a couple of good uh, good deals in a, in a row, and sort of take themselves out of it. Uh, is that is that realistic, or or is luck more than that? We all want luck. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for every time that you're lucky, there's an unfortunate one that happens also. But I believe we can skew the numbers. I believe, uh, and I prove it, and I did it for many, many years, I teach it, that we create our own good fortune. Mm -hmm. We often think of luck as something that happens randomly, and maybe that's the case when it might come to the lotto, okay? Yeah. But we're not talking about the lotto here. We're talking about people, and we're talking about understanding how to use emotion. But if you want good fortune in your life, there are things you can do to become fortunate. And I tend to have great fortune. And I follow three principles that lead to good fortune. And, and I will tell you what, they're very, very powerful. Okay, so number one, create good fortune for others. <laughs> yes, okay. That's counterintuitive for so many other people, mm-hmm. see? Um, Years and years ago, I had a gentleman that I listened to every cassette tape that he had, so mm. that dates me. Um, and that was Zig Ziglar, mm. and I remember that Zig Ziglar um, was a pot and pan salesperson, had a southern draw, and Zig said, if you help enough people get what they want, you're gonna get what you want. You see, when salespeople realize that they're not the center of the universe, and you shouldn't expect good things to flow towards us from all sides. In my experience, that's not what creates good fortune. The secret is to turn your thinking around and consider what other people want and what other people need. In other words, I create good fortune by helping other people. And then I take action to help other people. I forget about totally what's in it for me. In other words, if I'm going out to help you with a roof, Jim, and I determine it's not in your best interest, I tell you it's mm. not in your best interest. And not everyone's going to do that. No. And, and that comes across so sincere, mm. and, and it never changes in how I approach 
a customer. And, and so that genuineness comes through. So it seems like stuff just continues to fall in my lap. Mm-hmm. I've had people that I've told they don't need a roof and got a phone call from somebody that says, you were out to Bob Mary Smith's house and they said you were just really honest and they were blown away by you. And I'd like to have you come out. Well, that was good fortune that, that I created. Number two, meet good fortune halfway. Yes. As I said earlier, I tend to be fortunate. But I will tell you, I work really hard for that good fortune. Anybody that I've ever trained or mentored, I've said to them, what they practice in private, mm-hmm. they're going to be rewarded in public. Mm-hmm. My sense is, to have good fortune, you better meet it at least halfway. And you better meet it with good hard work. We need to put our heart and soul into a venture. We need to do our most for somebody. That effort is what attracts good fortune. Good fortune isn't about dreaming big, visualizing outcomes, setting goals. That's part of a plan. But the good fortune comes with hard work and the execution. If I look at the instances where I've not had good fortune in my life, it was when areas where I was half-hearted about it, I maybe wasn't passionate about it, I wanted to shortcut the system, or maybe the only person that I cared about was myself and I didn't put all the research in and hard work that I I needed to put in. And the the final point you make on, on creating your own good fortune is maybe the most difficult, even though it sounds simple, which is be positive. It sounds, it does, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It really does. You know, good fortune comes to those who are positive. If you're a whiner, you may be keeping good fortune away from you. We need to invite it into our lives. Whatever you see as a story of my life is going to come true. So if the stories about your life is, is that you always had the short straw, if the story of your life is always you had a problem, how you got screwed over, That's what's going to permeate, and it is going to shape the rest of your life. You know, we take a look, so you say, well, Frank, what if, you know, bad stuff is going to happen occasionally. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. It really does. Bad things do happen. But we can learn and grow from those bad things. They don't don't have to shape us as individuals. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to be the baggage that we carry on our back or in our wheelbarrow of life. You know, sometimes it's hard to get rid of. And I understand that sometimes, you know, it it can be a a, a very painful situation. Mm -hmm. I do understand those. But it's, it's those times where that happens and you sit back and you say to yourself, okay, so what can I learn from this? So something bad happened. Was there something that I did that I can learn something from? Because if you don't learn anything from it, then that bad thing just was a bad thing. But mm-hmm. if I can learn something from it, I move on. Mm-hmm. So not letting yourself be defined by a negative episode in your life sounds like that's part of, of, of where you want to go. Yes. Yes, it is. How many times have you met someone, Jim, and they want to tell you something bad that happened to them two or three years ago, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and they say, I just can't shake it. It's, it's, it just keeps happening over and over and over again, or some version of that. It's, it's sickening, yeah. because it, it is easy to get rid of. The most important thing is, yes, they have to let go, and it starts with letting go of those negative stories. So many people carry those grand, I'm going to call them grand personal stories of how they were wronged, how they were betrayed, how they had such bad luck of what happened to them. You know, their house burned down 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Yeah. 
and they're still talking about it. Those stories keep us trapped in the past and shut us down from good fortune because we can't recognize good fortune. Mm -hmm. There may have been somebody there that could have helped you with good fortune. And quite honestly, they got turned off by all all the negative. So I'm going to say to somebody that's got these grand stories going on in their life, I'm going to ask a question. First, do you want to escape that? And everybody says yes. And the real question then is this. Are you willing to give up your hard luck story? Are you willing to give the story that you tell at every party, that every time you meet somebody, you've got to tell them, are you willing to give that up? If the answer is no, you're going nowhere. If the answer is yes, then you need to move on. You see, I do understand that that's an easy story. People give you sympathy. But what you need to understand is, they're not really giving you sympathy. They're, they're, just, they're just listeners. So can you live without the story? Can you never mention it again? You need to give it up. Whenever you notice that your mind is consumed by them, when you become aware that you're retelling it over and over and others, say firmly to yourself, I gotta let that story go and focus on something else. Even if your brain starts that story, stop it and back out. So it's your conviction that if you follow these principles, you will attract good fortune in your life. Yes, and not only that, If we live according to these principles, we create happiness for ourselves and for others. You see, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Luck is preparation meeting opportunity. So if we don't spend our time preparing, we spend our time in the past telling stories, A, we're not prepared, so we never can pick up the opportunity. It's really that simple. So put the past in the past and let the future open up. Absolutely. Fantastic.